Welcome back to our third and final show of Two Powers in the Book podcast with your amazing host, Danny Flores and Peyton Lolo. This podcast today will be about Slaughterhouse Five and Salvation in Society. In this episode, we will discuss chapters eight through ten, mental disabilities that many veterans get from war, as well as the aftermath they receive, and then censorship slash banned books and interview with Kurt Vonnegut in response to his books being banned. Chapters 8 through 10 will hold to read. But wait, that was pretty interesting. So let's start talking about what we just read and analyze it. In this section, we'll be going more in depth with these chapters and the specific parts, like his wife dying and Bo's mental and physical state in the hospital. Also, the new character introduced, which is Professor Rumford. What do you think about Professor Rumford, Danny? Um, I like Professor Rumford, but like first, I'd, I want to talk about... um. Chapter eight with um the two characters the Howard, oh okay, uh Campbell Jr. first, so pretty much how he came to the camps to the Nazi camps, and he was a uh, an American soldier but he he turned Nazi and he was trying to promote this army he wanted to have. Okay. Do you remember remember the yeah. about that? And then he tried promoting the army, but I'm like. He tried performing a performance. He tried performing a like performance in front of the audience and like all the troops and everything in the factory, but they all just fell asleep because they worked super hard at the seal factory. Exactly. He wanted it to be called the Free American Corps, and he offered. He also offered um steak and better food to the soldiers that um that joined it, but everybody was just like, "This guy's a traitor." I think it's also cool how, like, Vonnegut made sure, like, to put that, said Dobie wasn't a character. He said, like, there was no character in the story and almost mm-hmm. no, like, dramatic confrontations. But then he said Dobie is now a character, which is, like, weird how he's just now being a character. Because he's yeah. seen the story many times so far. And in Chapter 8, he just now becomes a character. And it, like, also shows how, like, it's, a, like, a reality in America in a way. How there's people that believe just like him how he said that blue is for the American sky, white is for the race that pioneered the continent, drained the swamps, cleared the forests, and built the roads and bridges, and red is for the blood of American patriots. Yeah. How people believe that, like, being white is, like, the superior race out of all the races. You feel me? Yeah, I got you. Do you want to talk about Kilgore Trout, the one that Billy meets? Oh, yeah, his, his, like, favorite author? Yeah. That he meets. So pretty I, I, pretty funny how he met him too, not gonna lie. Oh yeah, it's funny how Billy just randomly mentions that damn Kilgore trout, god damn you. Yeah. He just says uh he lives in like a rented basement in like the place called Ilium, I think. About like two mm-hmm. miles from Billy's super nice home. So he, they were basically like kind of neighbors, but not really. I think Billy at least sort of saw him beforehand, but this is like just the first time he actually meets him. And then Trout lost his um his paper boy, so now he had a yeah. Then he had to do the paper about himself. Himself, yeah. He didn't know what to do, and all of a sudden he has a fan like Billy, ready to ready to be there and help him. 
I also like how Billy's like actually kind of rich. Or he's not rich, but he's kind of wealthy in this. Yeah, he's, he's like he shows up in well like, white Cadillac and like all that stuff, and he's a nice house with like a beautiful wife and a beautiful kids. Yeah. Like, I also I also think that way too. That's fact. And then, do you want to talk about his wife dying? How? Yeah, his, the way she died. And Kurt's way of showing it too. Yeah, I, she was like she was on her she was on her way to visit him, oddly enough. After she found out that he was about to become like a vegetable. That's true. And then she got in a massive car crash. Instead of like calling for help, where she, she could have conti- yeah, she, she continues to go to drive just to see Billy. And then she ended up dying in front of the hospital with carbon monoxide poisoning. That's just pretty ironic. Not gonna lie. That Billy's in there, and then she's going to see him, and then she dies, and Billy survives. It's also weird, too, because, like, yeah. I think her name is Valencia. It's weird because Billy had no response to Valencia dying. Like, he just said, oh, she's dead. Okay. And it's yeah, he had, like, no yeah. feeling or nothing. He moved on pretty fast, and it didn't show, like, any sign of remorse, even though she basically left his life for him. And then quite the character that um Billy's sharing the room with, Professor Trout. Yeah. I mean, Professor Rumford. Professor Rumford, yes. Yeah, okay. Rumford's like a super weird dude because he, like, he tells every nurse and everything that Billy has a disease called echolalia, which makes, like, forget everything. And he, like, tells every nurse that even though Billy knows for a fact that he doesn't have this disease, but he still lets him continue. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to help him because he's trying to write a a one not a book, right? Yeah, a one volume book. Mm-hmm. And then Billy just it goes along with it. Yeah, Billy's hearing all this, and then he has his his um wife trying to interpret it. Yeah, and then like going back to Billy and everything, he has like some mental flashbacks about PTSD. And like just about Dresden and like how it just all blew up and everything. Yeah, I, I wanna point out um before that how um Professor was reading some facts about the Dresden bombing. Yeah and uh and, and the, he's like I yeah, was and then, Yeah, and the Nagasaki and Hiroshima. No, you weren't. How crazy how the Dresden bombing killed more people than the Nagasaki, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Uh, and then and no one like, even knew about Nagasaki. Yeah, uh, yeah, no one knows about it. No one even knew about Dresden until like 20 years later when the U.S. actually admitted that stuff. Yeah, they had to like find it out by yeah, people just that were there. Trout's talking about Dresden. He finally can't write anything on it because no one knows about it. And exactly. it was like, oh, I was there. I was at Dresden. And Rumford's like, no, you weren't. You were not at Dresden. And then it kept saying he was lying. And, and all the... He got off the disease. And it wasn't even with the nuclear bomb either. It was all done with incendiary bombs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, over three days. That's just crazy. Okay, people could kill all those innocent lives. And no one knew about it, too. Like, exactly. only people knew about it were people who survived, and no one believed them. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I'm in the book right now, and it says a lot. The, the Hiroshima bomb had more than 20,000 tons of TNT. And had more than 2,000 times the blast power of the British Grand Slam, which is the longest bomb ever used yet. 
and then it says it's an atomic bomb harnessing the basic power of the universe. And then it's just mad how like Dresden over three days, just one Dresden bombing. Bombs over bombs over bombs. Yeah. This is so so it's messed up. Exactly. It's pretty crazy. And they could, they didn't even need to bomb Dresden too. Like they were just abandoned town and then Exactly. The British Air Force and then Stalin and then America just all said, yeah, let's bomb this one town when they killed their own men, basically. And it's just doing that to another to an- another group of human beings, dropping all those bombs with no remorse, you feel me? Mm-hmm. It's said in the book they killed, that Dresden killed 83,793 people and that atomic bomb dropped in Hiroshima killed 71,000. Oh man, 79. that's pretty. That's just cool. I mean, it's not cool, but like, I didn't mean to say that. It's uh weird how the atomic bomb and one bomb dropping killed a seventy-one thousand, but then over three days killed eighty-three thousand. Like, if America really did want to like destroy Japan and like a lot of other cities like Germany, then they could just kept dropping atomic bombs on them, and then. They could have just won the war that way, but they exactly. only used that atomic bomb because it's the last resort that they ever had. Mm-hmm. So I want to point out in the later chapter how they're talking about Jesus and they're making references to him, mm-hmm. and how the Trephromadorians pretty much don't don't look at Jesus as a figure, but the scientists scientists do. Yeah. It's just where people like don't believe in the Bible, I guess. Like, yeah, Charles Darwin, that's who they look up to most. Yeah, they, they look up to the Darwinism and the creation and like the evolution of people. Exactly. They feel that people shouldn't worry about the, the bad times in their lives and just look into the positives. Yeah, and speaking about Trumpado, I'm gonna go a little off topic. Uh, do you think the Billy's like flashbacks are real because in chapter 9 I think it talks about how he found a book that talks about how an earthling man and a woman were captured by extraterrestrials and they were like put on display in a zoo and like that's kind of what Bill- happened to Billy and that's what we've been living about or that's what we've been reading about this whole entire time yeah I feel like he's time traveling flashbacks are real yeah you do? And yeah, you I believe in Captured by aliens and stuff like that. Yeah, honestly. So, do you want to go into the next part? Chapter 10? Yeah. Yeah, so now... It's like 10 pages or whatever. Yeah, it's a very short chapter. And we pretty much have Kurt Vonnegut talking about Billy, too. And then talking about Robert Kennedy and everything. And then talking about his favorite friend, O'Hare. Yeah, he talks about how Martin Luther King died a month ago. Robert Kennedy lived eight miles away. He was shot two nights ago. And then they they go back to Chocomador. And then they talk about Jesus Christ and all that stuff. Yeah, and then he was asking O'Hare, like, the population of Dresden, but it wasn't in... In a notebook. Yeah, no. Nah, they just know, basically. 
Yeah, they pretty much. He said, "I suppose they all want dignity." And then O'Hare followed, "I suppose too." Yeah, and then it's like seven million, seven billion people before the year two thousand, which is just exactly. insane how fast the world's going. It says like three hundred twenty-four thousand babies are born each day, and ten thousand persons like would have starved to death or died from like lack of nutrition. Exactly. But, like. Just the babies being born a day is just going to top all the amount of people dying a day. Yeah. And then um, finally, the end of the chapter, World War II in Europe is over. And then he ends the book with the famous line, Puti Wheat. Which pretty much is just like, like how there's nothing left after war. You feel me? Mm-hmm. How it's just silent. You can only hear the birds talking. Yeah, because, like, the only thing I know, like, before, like, war starts and everything, like, the only, it's just outside and just, like, a bird going pooty weed. And then the first crack, like, the first gunshot happens. And then all of a sudden, it's just, like, devastation, like, bombs and gunshots for the next, like, however long the war lasts. Exactly. I also like how Kurt Vonnegut says, like, one bird said to Billy, so Billy can, like, understand animals, like, living with the Chalfmedolians and being captured. I yeah, I still feel that way, too. Assumption. Yeah, well, that was that was a pretty good discussion. Yeah, do you want to move on to uh, the next section? Yeah. Hello, hello. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I hope that you're missing me. Cause it makes me feel young. All right, guys. There are many instances in this book where Billy experiences. It's time to talk about shell shock, aka PTSD and how it affects Billy in his life, as well as many other veterans. There are many instances in the book where Billy experiences PTSD, like the barbershop quartet. PTSD is a mental disease illness that affects a lot of veterans today, and we will be looking into why many people are getting this disease and the aftermath of getting it. All right, Peyton. Well, let me ask, do you have any, any relatives in the military? I had my mom's uncle. My mom's yeah, my mom's uncle. So my great uncle, I think it's what it is. I'm not sure, yeah. but uh, he said he was in Vietnam. Oh, my mom tells me he said he was in Vietnam, and this is the rash like gigantic, and they kept clinging onto his boots and everything. Then after like it was Vietnam was an awful war, but then after like he came back, this wasn't the same. Just like many other veterans weren't. Like, Vietnam just changed him, and that's when, like, people finally, America finally saw how bad war was. That's when they took the photographs and everything in Vietnam. Yeah. That's the war people usually remember. That is the most screwed up. What about you? Do you have any relatives in the war, in the military? Um, My cousin's wife, that's the closest, but she's in the Coast Guard, and she's currently... Still serving there. Where is she serving? In, in the Coast Guard. Like, is... Oh, okay. 
cool. I just saw, I looked this up, and it said, I looked at Vietnam War PTSD veterans. Yeah. And it's saying how, like, 15% of veterans from Vietnam have PTSD. And then, yeah, yeah. Also, I also saw looking up at an article and how they suffer from anxiety and nightmares. So they pretty much are always feeling anxiety and they can't sleep. They've like can't and it, they just wake up in the middle of the night sometimes too for yeah, days like, in a row with the night toes and just flashbacks about Vietnam or whatever war they were in. Yeah, whatever war or whenever they kill someone cuz like most of the time, they also have to kill children too, and I feel yeah. like that's a big, that's a big hit too. I think like, there's a movie I watched. I mean, I think you saw it too, American Sniper, the, the war veteran Chris Kyle. Yeah, I, I also read the book, by the way, too. Oh, you did? That's yeah, cool. I read the book and then I watched the movie. Pretty good book, not gonna lie. And then this is just messed up how Chris Kyle is like an amazing war veteran, like the most confirmed kills. But then he died to another war veteran while teaching him how to gun, shoot a gun. Yeah, he got shot in the back. Yeah, and he got shot from the veteran having people. That surprised me. I didn't know that when I finished the book. I thought he was still alive, and then I saw that. Yeah, he died from a veteran who had PTSD. He had, like, a PTSD flashback and then shot Chris Kyle. Yeah, like, and just the effects it has on him. It's just in the movie, In the movie, he was about to shoot a children. Yeah. Kid, and you yeah. can hear him like under his breath saying like don't do it, don't do it. Exactly. Like, drop it. And, and then also also a different movie, Lone Survivor. Oh with uh Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. I don't know. I I was seeing an interview because I was I was really big into these like army books and military books and yeah. movies too. And I was seeing an interview how um he pretty much still remembers everything that happened. He was the only one that survived. And how he lost all his friends in front of him and, like, the shock he gave him. Yeah, apparently he's still friends with the guy that saved him, too. Yeah, he he got him. He was able to get him a visa so they could visit each other. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and that's also a big risk for him because now his family's getting threatened over there in Afghanistan. Yeah. And then there's, like, when Billy has PTSD in the book, like, switching that book now, like, Billy has PTSD in the book and talks about, like, those, when he was in Dresden, so Dresden was one big fame. The one fame that ate everything organic, everything that would burn. Exactly. And they said, the sun was an angry little pinhead. Dresden was like the moon, now nothing but minerals. And everybody else in the neighborhood was dead. And then, like, the, that just shows how Dresden just a destroyed place and how it just affected millions. And how, yeah. Like, just people who were there that survived. Yeah. And then the PTSD that Billy has is uh, it says they experimented with one expression and then another. Then they look like a silent film, a barbershop quartet. When I read that, didn't really mean anything. But yeah. then, like, the more I got into that chapter, it says something how they, like, he got Billy. Billy stepped out into the ruins and saw four men. And then they stood silently and denied like a barbershop quartet would be. And then I think that just shows a great foreshadowing of Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. And he just wrote that. And then uh, this is probably Kurt Vonnegut himself reimagining this. So it's probably super hard for him to write this chapter. Going to dress yeah. and like re- re-envisioning what would happen and what did happen in there. And then I also, also read up too that most of the time the 
PTSD also leads to many substance abuse and how it affects the, not just yourself, but the relationships around you, how you start having like problems and stuff. Yeah. And most of them like shoot up heroin and everything like that. Yeah. You start missing work and like responsibilities. I watched a movie last year in 2018. I saw it twice. It's, uh, it had, Dakota Johnson or Jeff Bridges and John Hamm. I forgot the name of the movie, but it was like, but the schoolboy or like the bellhop guy, he was uh, in Vietnam and we don't find that out until like the final act of the movie, but uh, he was in Vietnam and he saw all of his friends and like, what he was dying in front of him. Like he was like, killing off Jeff, uh, Vietnamese people left and right. And then he woke up, found that he was the last one alive. And and he just wasn't yeah. the same. He kept like shooting up hell when him being being addicted to drugs. He ended up dying in the end, but I think that was nice for him to die because then he would finally like be relieved of the suffering that he had to carry with all like the dead weight on his body. But he'd like be finally at peace. I guess. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and then also leads to suicide most of the time too. Because they just can't take it anymore. They all wake up with night terrors and they're just freaking out and they can't mm-hmm. even do anything about it. Yeah, they just start just wanting to end everything and stuff. It's awful. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, great talk, Peyton. Do you want to go on the next section then? Yeah, let's go to the next segment. Hello, hello. <laughs> So I read an article about a principal who banned the whole school from being slaughterhouse five. He found out that it had curse words and everything in it. And then he grabbed every copy that he had in the school and burned it in the furnace. And then uh, in this section, we would be talking about the, about this in our opinion on banning books and why people should ban books or not ban books. So, like, when I was reading this article, it made me ask the question, like, what's the point of all of this? Why are they burning a book that made people understand what Dresden was? And why are they burning books that people could learn from and experience? Yeah. I also read on that, too. And I just feel like how they're just not wanting to, like, let the kids read it to find the truth. You feel me? Yeah. Just because it holds, like, the reality of war. And Kurt Vonnegut, that's his way of writing. Satire. But at the same time, not so satire. And it's just comical, the way he writes. And for him to ban it just because it has cringe words, it just doesn't make it. Yeah, sense. and I have an article right next to me. And uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote, wrote a letter of response to the principal of the school who burned the books. Talking about how, like, I'm very real. They try to... The article is on Very Real, and that's the title of the letter Vonnegut wrote to him. It just starts out like, I gather from what I've read in the papers and on television that you imagine me and some other writers too as being a rat-like person who enjoy just making money from poisoning the minds of young people. And then that's just insane how people think about that. They think about some writers just wanting to make money and not really trying to inspire people that they used to. Yeah, that... it's just crazy how, how they just want the truth to be hidden. Like in the famous book, Fahrenheit 51, 
how they're trying to burn all yeah, the books. That movie was awful though with Michael B. Jordan. That's not a good movie. But the book is yeah, amazing. The, the book is pretty good. Like Ray Bradbury, I think it was made in the nineteen fifties. I think I can't. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ray Bradbury, they predicted many things. He predicted that we would have like FaceTime. We could call people yeah. from like different towns and cities and states. Just like it was nothing. And then he also just had. It's just weird how people like burn books. And all that. Yeah, and it's like they don't want like if it wasn't for this book, I would have never known about dressing. Yeah, same as me. I will just my brother, who's a very history nerd, he watches history channel like every single day since he was like six. And I, when I read this about Dresden and Mr. Baffle explaining it to us, I didn't know what Dresden was, and I was actually like horrified how people would do this. And so I asked my brother, did you know about Dresden? He's like, no, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, it's this war. It's this town where like everyone got bombed, even American troops, over three days. And then he just said, oh, wow, I never knew about that. That just shows like many people just don't know about Dresden. Which is just a, yeah. Exactly. You even mentioned the name and they're like, what is yeah. that? Like, like what is, even is like that? If you ask people, like, what's the least battle you know enough about? Like, you know information about or like what even I heard of in World War Two. They'd probably say yeah. like the pivot the pivot line that the German held in World War Two in Italy or like the Rutgers Forest attack. That's probably my guess. But no one's probably gonna say Dresden. Exactly. And it's just the ugly truth how like America doesn't want its dark side to be known. And the, going back to the article, it's a he thinks that people only read books for money and only make books for money because they have nothing else to do. I disagree with that. Well, I agree with that because I have an artist, actually. I have an author who is like that. Her name is J.K. Rowling. She made the Harry Potter books. And uh, she yeah. made a lot of money from those seven Harry Potter books and then the eight movies. She wasn't. She was on, like, welfare, right, in yeah. the country? Yeah, and then she made the Harry Potter books. Yeah, she was she was very poor, and then many people like not wanted her books. And they finally made the books, and then she got super wealthy and rich, and just popular mm-hmm. and famous in everything. And then, yeah. if you go over now, you have the new book, Fantastic Beasts, which didn't, or the new movie, which didn't need to come out. The movie's gonna just stay away and hidden. She didn't need to make him. It's only make him now to make money. Yeah, and going back to the theme of banned books. We also read a book this year called Between the World and Me by Tana Hasi Coates. And I was also reading around how this book was also banned in some schools. But it was banned? I don't know. Yeah, it was banned in some schools. And it's just, it just, it's another, another example of this, how like many people don't want how the real America is and how the dream is in Tana Hasi Coates's narration yeah it's it's where people would ban a book that uh just depicts like the black life and just the importance behind it and what they go and what african americans go through in life not just white americans exactly when i was reading between the world and me um and i'm what she teaches at dsl and like i was like mom do you want to read this book and then she said yeah she liked the book, and then she like, I'll show it to my class, because they're mostly African-Americans. 
And then she asked the school if they could read it, and DSL said no. And my mom was like just super confused about why DSL would ban that book, but not my mom teach it, even though it like shows mostly what they're about and like their values and all of like Ta-Nehisi Coates' rights in that book relates to the people of like DSL and all other children of America. Exactly. And it's just sad how they just do this. Because Coates expresses the truth. And if you think about it, it does make a lot of sense. And it's honestly the reality, too. For example, the the supermarket droughts. The what droughts? The, the, I mean, the supermarket desert. How there's not, like, a supermarket in a certain radius. Oh, yeah. Because all they want is just money, basically. Yeah. And then it's just, that's, I've never heard about that. I thought, because now that I think about it, there is. Because there's a supermarket in my town. And then, like, in the next town over Lockport, there's a supermarket there. There's always just a supermarket in one town, at least, where everyone goes to shop and get their groceries and food. They're making a ton of money off of that because, I mean, everyone needs food. And, yeah. And if they have more uh, supermarkets in one place, then the main one is just going to run out of business because they're not getting enough customers. Yeah, and I just feel how cruel the world is like that. It's kind of like, or not McDonald's. I was going to mention McDonald's and how there's a McDonald's on every single street. But now that I think about that, that's kind of true. There's a Starbucks in like every single city, multiple, like 10, and like one in every single block in Chicago. There's and there's so many like currency exchanges in low income areas. Yeah, and not that many banks. There's more, yeah, there's multiple in low income areas and like banks and all that stuff. But there's not many. There should be more. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be more in the rates of them. Yeah, exactly. It should be even everywhere. It doesn't matter the area or the income. Yeah, it's, they're keeping them there because of the redlining. Like the black people are trying to get out of the in of the low poverty, but then it's like can't. It's like the city's just destroying their income, and every time a black person does try mm-hmm. to get out, it's going to be very hard for them because the education a lot worse. They're not getting good enough teachers. Yeah, the school too. How the area? How since it's low cost houses, they don't have that many. They don't pay that much in taxes, so they don't get that much help for the school. But in the rich areas, they go lots of money goes to the school, so there's better teachers and stuff. Yeah, and then most African Americans can't do anything because since they're not making enough money, they usually turn to gangs and violence and drugs. And then the cops catch them with the drugs and gangs and violence, and they end up going to jail for like the rest of life or for a long time. They can't have a childhood and get out. So then they just like. Not then they knock up the girlfriend and then just leave and then they just do it again and leave their son homeless and without a father, just like just like uh, Tyler Heisey coach puts in between the world and they uh, like his friend dies and now his son won't have a father, just like most people, African American don't. And that's just the reality, honestly. It all yeah. it all depends. It's, where you're born. If you're born in like Englewood, then there's a lower chance of you getting out of Englewood. 
than say someone born in Lockport to make him be successful and have a life for himself. Other people born in Englewood just usually end up staying in Englewood. There's no need. There's not no need, but it's a lot harder for them to get out of that poverty and start a new life and be wealthy. And there's also like a lot of poverty in other countries too, like Mexico, for example. Like just for example, my like hometown, all the houses don't have heaters. They don't. No, you have to bundle up with a bunch of blankets. Jeez. What about yeah. the uh, electricity? You have electricity, yeah, but you just don't have like a heater or like an AC. So like in the in the winter, like how cold does it usually get? In the forties, around there. So you have to like bundle up and stuff, and like if you like the reality of like you succeeding from there is very small because you have to get papers first. What did you do to get out? Uh, my parents had papers, but... and then we we came here. Oh, it took like fifteen years to get them. Jeez. Yeah, insane. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, yeah. So yeah, thank you guys for joining our podcast today, our final one. It's so sad to see us go. It's been so happy to see great views on our podcast by uh, Mr. Timothy Baffo. And thank you for listening. And make sure to download our episode on twopowers.com. Make sure to follow our Snapchat at twopowers is perfect. This is Danny and Peyton signing off.